Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. And you know our motto. Some of you know it. Help me out with it. No matter your story, you are a welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Happy Mother's Day to you and your mama and your mama's mama and your mama's mama's mama if she's around. What a blessing. You know, Mother's Day is is a thing that we should celebrate. Good moms are such a blessing. And uh, if you have a good mom, awesome. And uh, I celebrate those who weren't necessarily birth mothers to someone, but who have been very motherly to lots of folks. I think we got some folks in this room who may not have biological kids, but they got a lot of kids. They got a lot of kids that they love. I'll never forget the first church I was pastor. Such a, I was a young man. I felt grown up. I was 24, which to me sounds awfully young, like a baby, basically. And um, that was a suit and tie kind of church. I don't miss the suit and tie. I hope y'all don't mind. This is about as fancy as it gets for me. And um, a la- lady named Betty Lou, Debbie knows Betty Lou, she would come up and make my, straighten my tie every week because my mama wasn't there to fix it for me. So Betty Lou was my adopted mother, and she would make my tie right. Now nobody has to fix my tie because I don't have one, which is completely okay with me. Of course, Mother's Day can be a reminder that motherhood can be very hard. There can be a lot of pain associated with motherhood. And and, uh, you know, for some folks, they, they didn't have the experience with a mom that they would really like to have. You know, maybe, maybe there's a tense situation between them and their mother. Their mother wasn't around. But let me tell you this. This is how good God is. No matter what else happens, you can have a mama. You can have a dad. You can have brothers and sisters and sons and daughters in a church family. You can find people who will love you like a mama love you like a daddy, love you like kids, love you like brothers, love you like sisters, that no matter what happens out there, in here, we got family. Always. No matter where you're from, no matter what else is going on. So today I'm not talking about mothers on Mother's Day. I hope that's all right. Today I'm, we're in the book of Daniel. We've been in the book of Daniel. I promised we would get back in it. And uh, Mother's Day, we're, we're, I will say this. It's not a Mother's Day message, but this is a message I've seen my mother live out in front of me many times, and the heart of it is that God can be trusted, and His Word can be trusted. What God promises, God fulfills. And I can testify that. I've seen that in my life many times, the promises of God, even when it looked difficult, even when it looked unlikely, I've seen the promises of God fulfilled. I'm, I'm married to a miracle. My wife is here this morning. Usually she's here at the evening service, but she's a miracle of God. I could have lost her in 2013 so easily. I could have been uh, widowed that many years ago, and yet she's a miracle because we've seen the promises of God. But maybe there's a fair question we should ask. If we say the Bible is true and we believe the Bible is true, how can we prove it? How can we know that the Bible is true? Lots of religious books out there, right? And most of them will claim to be inspired by God or by someone or something. How? What sets the Bible apart? What's different about the Bible? What's different about it? Well, how do we? It's God's word, yes, but how can we prove it? That's a good question. Is there something that's different? You probably heard of Leonardo da Vinci, right? 
Not the Ninja Turtle Leonardo. It's completely different Leonardo. This is Leonardo the artist, the inventor, the futurist. Leonardo da Vinci lived oh, about 500 years ago now. And he made uh, a lot of predictions. One of them was that humans would someday fly. And he drew, draw, you know, drew flying contraptions and all of that. Turns out Leonardo da Vinci was right. Humans did eventually fly. Not using the kind of contraptions that, that he drew up. But he was right. He, he said that someday it would happen, and it happened. I guess, that's, I guess that's impressive, but you and I could make a guess right about what will happen sometime in the future. I'll go ahead and make a prediction that right now, a year from now, the Cowboys will still not have won a Super Bowl, <laughs> and the Cowboys fans will still think that they're the best team there ever was. And before you say anything, Bobby Wright... My dear friend, I'll go ahead and make a prediction and say that my team will probably win less games than the Cowboys. All right? It's called loyalty, okay? Loyalty. He says don't lie in church. Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I like uh, Bobby's a man of great faith. He has faith that the Cowboys aren't going to stink next year. So we can make predictions like that. Okay, so Leonardo says someday man will fly and man flew. Okay, great. But what if Leonardo da Vinci said that man will achieve powered flight on December 17, 1903 in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina? What if he predicted that? And it came true. Would that be impressive? Would that give him credibility on a completely different level? We wouldn't just say, wow, Leonardo, he was a genius. He would be like, oh my gosh, he's a prophet. My goodness. I mean, what else did he say? Okay. Da Vinci couldn't do that. Da Vinci could not look forward into the future and say, on this day, this will happen. He could sort of vaguely guess. As a matter of fact, there's no other source of information, no person, no document, that dares to look into the future and say, this is going to happen on a certain day. Why? Because you can't just do that. It's a, it's a way to be exposed as incorrect. But there's one document that does that. The Word of God. The Word of God makes specific, predictive prophecy that can be shown to be fulfilled and would we agree that if the bible says something is going to happen on a certain day and and says this hundreds of years in advance and it actually happened would we agree that that's some serious proof that maybe the bible is for real well let's talk about it a couple of weeks ago we were in daniel chapter 8 and and we see that daniel predicted the rise of alexander the great and when Alexander marched through Jerusalem, the priests and the rabbis brought out Daniel chapter 8 and showed, hey, look, our God predicted your coming. And, and Alexander was so impressed that he didn't destroy the city and he didn't destroy the temple. This week we're in Daniel 9 where we have an even bolder prediction about an even greater person. So if you'll find Daniel chapter 9, we're going to pick up some verses as we go through that. You'll, if you read ahead, you'll notice it's a really complicated passage. And I'm probably not going to satisfy all your curiosity about it, but I think I'm going to hit the main points today. Let me set the scene for you. So Daniel is an older man at this point. He's in the neighborhood of 80, maybe a little more than 80, and he's reflecting back on everything he has seen. He was just a teenager. When teenager growing up in Jerusalem, when the Babylonians marched through and conquered everything, they killed off most of the people and took the survivors from Jerusalem to Babylon where they were expected to start a new life. Imagine if Japan had won World War II and people from here were deported to Tokyo and expected to start over. I mean, what a traumatic thing. But Daniel 
was a young man of such brilliance and integrity that he was selected for a leadership program, and he was trained and schooled, and he spent his career as a royal advisor to the king of Babylon. He spent a whole career. He retired, and then Babylon started kind of going downhill after that. I don't know if it was because of Daniel that he wasn't there to tell him, you know, give him a good advice, but uh, another power rose, the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire. They rose, and and uh, we're coming against Babylon. And on the very last day of the Babylonian Empire, the last king of Babylon called Daniel out of retirement for help to say, hey, what does this mean? He had had a vision. What does it mean? But the news wasn't good. Daniel said, this night Babylon will fall. And that's exactly what happened. Now here's the surprising thing after all of that. Daniel lived through the fall of Babylon and kept his job as royal advisor. When the new guys came in, when the... Medes and Persians took over. They kept Daniel. And, and um, he served them as royal advisor. This happens pretty soon after that. Now, Daniel, Daniel's thinking about this changeover in power. He knew that the Lord had allowed Babylon to rise for a purpose. You see, when Daniel's people, the Jews, were in captivity in Babylon, they finally got serious about God. Have you ever noticed when life gets hard, you, that's when your faith has to grow and you get serious about God. When things get really bad, you're like, okay, Lord, I really need you now. You can kind of float along when things are easy, but when things get hard, you know you need the Lord. And that's what they did. They got serious about the Lord. They, they got rid of their idolatry for the first time in their history. They started studying the scriptures and distributing copies. They established the synagogue system and trained rabbis to teach the people. Things were so different then when they went in, Daniel also knew that God had promised when the time was right, he would take the Jews back to Jerusalem. And he's starting to wonder if this is the time. So he starts searching the scriptures and praying for answers. Boy, that's a good idea. You want to know something? You need to know some information from the Lord? Uh, look, open the Bible up. It's in there. So let's read uh, Daniel 9.2. We'll have that up on the screen here. Daniel 9.2. In the first year of his reign, this is the new king, I, Daniel, understood by the books. What books? The scrolls of the Old Testament. The number of years specified in the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Let's stop right there and pray. Heavenly Father, would you please speak to us through your word and show us how true it is and how much we can trust it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel... He's reading, he reads, he seeks understanding, and he goes to the scriptures, which in this case was Jeremiah, the scroll of Jeremiah the prophet. It says books, plural, because it hasn't, hadn't been bound. Like what we know as a book, what, uh, what they would call a codex with like leaves of paper put together, that really wasn't a thing. If it had been invented, it certainly wasn't common. So to have the Old Testament, you'd have all these scrolls, all right? You'd have 39 scrolls instead of one book. So he's reading here, and he, he sees in, in the book of Jeremiah, and if you're taking notes, it's Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12. That's where you'd go. So you can read that, the prophecy that the Jews would be taken to Babylon for 70 years, where the Lord would straighten them out, and then Babylon would be straightened out, and then they would get to go back. So he found it right there in the Scriptures. Now... We might think that if God's going to speak to us, it would be in some really dramatic way, right? Like a voice from heaven. Or, or 
an angel. We will see an angel later on. Or, or some kind of dream or some kind of vision. Or maybe the face of Jesus would appear on a tortilla. And apparently that was a thing. I'm not sure what to do with that. But most of the time when God speaks, it's just going to be the Word and prayer. And if you can't figure it out, find somebody who prays harder than you and pray them to pray with you and for you. Find somebody who knows the Word a little better than you and get some direction. Most of the direction you're going to need for life it isn't going to come from some big voice from somewhere. It'll be you and the Word of God and praying over it. May, may I encourage you? Now, I know that doesn't seem very dramatic, but it's plenty dramatic. How many of you know that if you read the Bible with an open heart, it'll wreck you sometimes? It will wreck you sometimes. And it will, you'll need to be wrecked sometimes. I need to be wrecked sometimes. We need to have our lives challenged. We need to have our understanding challenged. See, the problem with the Word of God isn't that people are confused by it, really. People say, oh, the Bible's confusing. It's the parts that don't confuse us that's really the problem. Because it tells us very plainly how we should live. And it ain't easy. If it was just the confusing parts, fine. But, you know, the Ten Commandments are not confusing. But boy, are they hard sometimes to do all those things, you know. It's, it's, it's the part that we do understand that's the problem. So, um, Jeremiah, or Daniel sees in the book of Jeremiah he, that it's supposed to be seven years and he knows about 70 years have passed. It seems like it's time for God to bring his people home. So he starts praying and he prays and he prays and, and um, gets serious about praying. And the scriptures tell us, Daniel 9, 3, which is not on the screen, tells us that he put on sackcloth. That would be like burlap. You know what burlap is? If you ever did like a a wedding for a white girl recently is probably had burlap in it. I don't know what the heck that's about. Country chic burlap lace and all. I mean, it's it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I ain't I ain't I ain't down in that. It's just like okay, burlap. But that's what they wore back in the day when they were mourning. All right, that was a sign of of really great grief. He put on like burlap clothes, and you can imagine how itchy sackcloth is what it was. But that's the closest thing that we have. And uh, put ashes on himself. And he wouldn't eat. Now, why is he doing this? It's a, it's a sign of grief. He's so grieved about the state of his nation. Is God impressed with... Is this, is this an attempt to impress God and say, look, look, God, I'm humbling myself. No, it wasn't. God isn't like the, the pagan deities of old that were supposed to be impressed when people hurt themselves. Maybe you've read some places in the Old Testament where... where a pagan person would be praying to their pagan gods and would actually cut themselves. And that was supposed to impress impress this pagan god. No, God's not like that. It's not about impressing him and say, look, look how low I'm groveling, Lord. You should listen to me. No, Daniel was getting his own heart in the right place. He was humbling himself. And this was a thing that he could do to humble himself before the Lord. I don't know that you need to go make you a, a burlap suit to wear but you will have to humble yourself before the Lord. Daniel is heartbroken about his people. They have been in captivity. Not just physical captivity being deported from their homeland, but spiritual captivity. They were bound by powers of spiritual darkness. Let's read Daniel 9, 4 through 15. And it's, it's a long passage, but... I want you to think about it and see if any of it sounds familiar with our nation and our society. See if this sounds familiar to you. 
O Lord, he said, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commandments. But we have sinned and done wrong. We've rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We refuse to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far wherever you've driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel disobeyed your instructions and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You've kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster that happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we refuse to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us this disaster he prepared. That the Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we've sinned and are full of wickedness. Mm, We'll stop right there. See, Daniel confessed his people's failure to trust God. God warned them, but didn't listen. He said he wanted to bless them, and he did bless them, but they turned their backs on him. So much of what Daniel says here feels familiar to me. Is there any doubt that God has blessed our nation? We've been so, so blessed. Almost unlike any other nation in the history of the world, there's never been a nation on the grand scheme of things as prosperous as this one. And yet, there's so much spiritual darkness in captivity. And if you think that's a a political commentary, you'd be incorrect. This goes so much deeper than politics. You could get rid of all the politics and the darkness is still there. It goes right to the heart. And as our society drifts farther and farther from God, as the nation rejects the truth of God more and more openly, can we really expect Him to just keep blessing us forever? Can we presume upon His favor? Now, Many would say that our nation needs revival. Needs to turn back to God. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, I mean it's obvious. But we have a specific idea of what revival means. By and large, people think of revival as, as people on the outside getting with the program. You know, getting on board with God. All them unbelievers out there getting on board with, with God. Um, getting on board with us. Getting themselves in church. All right. That, that needs to happen. Absolutely. But is that what we see here? Does, does Daniel walk out into the street, look around and say, Hey, neighbors, if y'all would straighten up, we'd go back to Jerusalem. Does he, does he fuss at his neighbors and tell them to straighten up? What Daniel does is humble himself and cry out to God. Was Daniel taking part in the sins of his nation? No. 
Daniel wasn't doing these things. But yet, he still cried out. Folks, hear this. Hear this. Tune in. Lean in. We look around our nation and wonder when unbelievers will get serious about God. God looks around our nation and waits for believers to get serious about Him. Revival doesn't begin outside the family of God. You can't revive something that wasn't alive. It ain't been vived in the first place. <laughs> revive means it was alive, you know. Maybe that's not good English. I hope you'll forgive me. Revival really begins when people who already know and love God decide they cannot settle for anything less than the fullest, deepest understanding of who He is and the fullest blessing and filling of His power. That's where revival comes from. That people who really know God, who are just sort of drifting along, decide, I can't do this anymore. I'm getting serious. I'm getting on fire for God. And I don't care if it burns down the place with me. But the funny thing about a light in the dark is that it attracts other people. If you were wandering in the darkness, lost, and you saw a campfire in the distance, where would you go? Right to it. That's you. You're the campfire in the dark. And the brighter you glow, the more folks on the outside are going to come streaming to see where the light comes from. That's you. If you're grieved by what you see in our nation, don't just fuss at unbelievers for acting like unbelievers. Lost people are going to act lost. They're lost. Determine to take your own faith to the next level. And don't be satisfied. Humble yourself before the Lord and cry out for mercy on the nation. That's what Daniel did. Listen, we're going to continue in verse um, 16 here. O oh Lord, According to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury, fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins as for, and for our iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to those around us. Now, therefore, O oh, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications for the Lord's sake. Cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by your name, Catch this, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, and for your city and for your people who are called by my name. Notice what Daniel does not do here. Daniel does not say, Lord, we deserve your help. He doesn't say that. He says, look at these Babylonians. We ain't as bad as these Babylonians, Lord. We deserve your help. We're trying to be righteous. Give us a little credit. No, he, he doesn't try to bargain with God like we do. You ever bargain with God? I'm like, Lord, every once in a while, I remind the Lord, you know, I was called to preach, and I said yes, and I'll say, Lord, I, I, I promised to do this ministry thing, and why is it like this, you know? Why is this tire flat, Lord? Why? I mean, do you ever, do you ever have that moment when you're trying to talk to God and you pray? Were you honest enough to admit that and say, God, I'm trying to be a good person. Why is it like this? God, I, um, I pray sometimes. I read my Bible sometimes, Lord. I even listen to Spirit FM sometimes. Did you know your car can break down while you're listening to Spirit FM? It can happen to me. 
Rick come and rescued me that day. You remember that, Rick? Rick helped me out that day in the in rush hour in Greensboro. And you could be praying and trying to do a good thing, and your car can still break down. Yeah, it happens. You say, Lord, Lord, that uh, that charity cup by the cash register, I put my change in there. I decided not to buy a lotto ticket with that. I put my change in the cup, Lord. And I don't cuss as much as I used to, Lord, except when I'm trying to fix something that's broke. I'm doing plumbing. Lord, I, that person, you know how they were driving. They, they deserve for me to let them know with just one finger how bad their driving was. And I didn't do it, Lord. We, we kind of bargain with God sometimes. At least I do. But Daniel, who was really pretty righteous, he really was righteous. He was an exceptionally, even for Bible times, he was an exceptionally, unusually righteous man. He doesn't lead with saying, Lord, here I am. It's me, your favorite son, Daniel. I'm praying to you now. You know, I've got a direct line. I'm, I'm, I'm on the, you know, I'm on the platinum plan with you, Lord, because I do all the right things. No, he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't plead his own righteousness. He doesn't plead the righteousness of his people. He says, not because of our righteousness, Lord, but because of your great mercy. Not because of my righteousness, but because of your mercy. I'll tell you this. So long as your prayers are something along the lines of, Lord, I've been trying to be good, so you should help me. It's always going to be missing something. Always. Because... If God was keeping score, really, we'd all be in trouble. You don't want God to start keeping score. Hmm. You know, I think of my mama and how she's helped me out through the years, and I'll pick her up something at the store. She'll say, well, what'd you pay for that? Let me give you some money. I said, mama, if we start settling up the books, it ain't going to go good for me. Let's not start figuring out who owes somebody who. You know what? We're not going to do that unless I don't want that. You don't want to start figuring out how much God owes you because it won't go good for you. I don't care what kind of a saint you are and how much you polish your halo. Don't try to impress God. How are you going to impress God? Just fall on His mercy. Daniel is praying here and he, he wants to know if it's time for the captivity to end and a uh, spoiler alert yes it was their captivity is going to end but the answer that god gave wasn't just that the physical captivity was going to end he sent an angel gabriel with the message that all captivity was going to end spiritual captivity was going to end he sends gabriel gabriel's a famous angel most famous because he's the one who came to Mary. Remember in the Christmas story, he's the one who said, Blessed are you, Mary, you're going to have a baby and his name's going to be Jesus. Well, that Christmas story wasn't the first time Gabriel got to come and tell about Jesus. See, right here in Daniel 9, he's going to tell about Jesus, the Messiah. Daniel's the first, or, or Gabriel is the first one in the Word of God to use the word Messiah. The very first instance of the word Messiah is right here. God is going to go beyond Daniel's prayer to about the end of the Babylonian captivity and going to tell them about the end of spiritual captivity. So we're in Daniel 9.24. This is kind of deep here. We could go a lot deeper, but we just time will not permit all of it. 
he says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, how long was the captivity supposed to last? 70 years. And that's about over now. Now, God sent Gabriel with a message about 70 weeks. Why why does that change? Well, he's, he's going way beyond the 70 years. We do some real digging here. And we learn that these weeks are not weeks of days, but they're weeks of years. So a week is not seven days, but seven years. So 70 times seven, who's a math person in here? 490. 490 years. So 490 years and all captivity was going to end. Did I bring you here to do math today? Some of y'all like math. You know, I was telling somebody this morning I wanted to be an engineer, but I did not love math, and that was part of the problem. I could do math, but I didn't love math. You better love math if you're going to be an engineer. I did not love it. So I'm up here because I love Jesus a lot more than I love math. 490 years and all captivity would end spiritual and physical. Okay, that's a big deal, but it gets even better. Let's go to verse 25 and part of verse 26. We're intentionally stopping partway through 26. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, first time Messiah is mentioned in the Bible, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks and the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Okay. We read, back up one verse, if you will. From the command to rebuild Jerusalem and specifically the wall, it would be until the introduction of the Messiah would be seven weeks plus 62 weeks. Okay, we multiply that out by seven. Seven times seven is 49. Now, seven times 62 is a little harder. I'm going to help you out with that. It's 434. 434. I did write that down in my notes because I'm prepared. Thank you. Um, So we add 49 years. I'll tell you, 49 years was how long it took to rebuild the city. And the temple, or part of the temple. 434 years after that was when they were remodeling the temple and expanding it. The temple that we see in the New Testament was completed in that period of the 439 years. That's the one that Jesus worshipped in. Um, that's when people were returning to the land. and The Old Testament will be, was being completed and compiled. A lot of things happened. So we add 49 and 434, and we have a bold, a bold prediction that... Beginning that um, counting from the command to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem to the introduction of the Messiah would be 483 years. Well, that's very specific. But is it correct? Is there a record in the word of God of a command to rebuild Jerusalem that specifies the wall? Yes, there is. Nehemiah chapter 2. Make a note of that. I ain't going to read it to you. You're going to have to study it for yourself. In Nehemiah 2, we learn that Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes of Persia, granted permission and even provided funding. They were Persians were in charge at this time to go and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And the book of Nehemiah is a lot about that. You need to read. That's a really cool book. And thanks to Nehemiah's incredible note-taking, we know the exact day that command was issued. It was March the 4th. 445 B.C. So what happens if we start, start at March the 4th, 445 B.C. and add 483 years? What does that take us? Hmm. Before we answer that, let's just kind of come back to where we started and say, didn't we agree 
that if somebody could predict an event to a precise date and location hundreds of years in advance, then that person has some credibility. And in a really significant amount of credibility, we might say that they're dead on. Could you predict something 483 years in the future and get it right to the exact day? I certainly can't. Certainly not. And if somebody could, then maybe we should pay attention to them. It would be a very powerful piece of evidence. If this works, it's a powerful piece of evidence that the Bible can be trusted. People say that following the Lord is blind faith. My faith ain't blind. Yours isn't either. There's reasons. It makes sense. It makes sense to follow God. It's not just blind faith. It takes faith, absolutely. But it makes sense. So what happens? We start at March 4th, 445 B.C., and we add 483 years. Now, keep in mind, the Hebrews had a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. 360 days. So once in a while, they'd kick in a 13th month to keep the seasons from getting out of whack. Now, wouldn't that be weird? That'd never work in our culture. So we add 483 years of 360 days each, and we come up to... Sunday, April the 6th, 32 A.D. What happened on Sunday, April the 6th, 32 A.D.? Well, as best we can tell, that's the most likely date for this event that we call Palm Sunday. You've heard of Palm Sunday? That's the Sunday before Easter when Jesus presented himself formally as the Messiah, when they greeted him as the Messiah, and he came into the city of Jerusalem riding on the donkey, and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who is born the king of the Jews, blessed is he the son of David, and he presented himself officially as the Messiah that day. Daniel, or Gabriel spoke this to Daniel almost 600 years before and got it right to the exact day. Does that sound like blind faith to you? That sounds like pretty good stuff to me. That sounds like a document that can be trusted specific predictive prophecy you know what folks are free to believe and practice whatever they want i'm not going to hinder people believing what they believe from other religious books but i will tell you what there is no other book that claims to be from god who does anything like that the bible is in a class by itself six centuries before God revealed the exact date of the revelation of His Son as the Messiah. And right after that, we read in the next verse, verse 26, the Messiah was cut off, but not for Himself. I believe that's a reference to the crucifixion. And He wasn't crucified for Himself. He was crucified for me and for you. And that's what God did. Now, if you're keeping up with the math, we've gone through 483 years of the 490 years. Well, what about the other seven years? Well, I'll tell you what the other seven years are, and you're going to wish I would preach on that too, but you ain't going to get that today because it's just going to take too long. The other seven years remaining just happen to be the exact amount of time of a certain event that's coming in the future. See, the countdown clock of 490 years was paused at the crucifixion, and it's going to be restarted in a time called the tribulation period. And you get those last seven years. And the world's going to be straightened out. And all captivity will 
end. Those last few verses there refer to the tribulation period, 9, 20, 26, and 27 refer to the tribulation period and the end times and the Antichrist. We covered all that last summer. So if you want to do some digging, it's there. If you want to dig back through the podcast or, or ask me for my notes. The real heart of the message that I want to give you today is that the Word of God can be trusted. Can be trusted. Why? Just because we get warm and fuzzy feelings about it? No. But because it adds up. It works. It makes sense. The word, the world will tell you that the Bible is a collection of fairy tales. That it's wishful thinking for people who can't handle reality. Truth is, the world cannot handle the reality of the Bible. No other source of information calls a shot like this and pulls it off, predicting the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem to the very day. You can trust the Bible. You can trust it. The core message of the Bible is Jesus saves. Jesus saves. God loves you even though you have messed up. God loves you and he wants you to be in his family and that's forever and ever going to be our message here. That's the heart of who we are. We want everyone to connect with the Lord Jesus, not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. We want you to have what we have found Will that mean life will be easy forever? All right. Hey, Jesus people. How's that worked out for you? All your problems go away after you prayed that one prayer? No. But you never went through another storm alone. Ever. Ever. The mamas in the room can tell you there's storms. And you don't want to go through them alone. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and being Father, to us, I thank you for the good mamas out there who are giving their best. And I want to pray for the mothers who feel very overwhelmed by the responsibility or overwhelmed by what they face, that you would give them extra strength and extra peace. And God, may we be a church family who, if nothing else, we are like fathers and mothers to one another, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Thank you for the truth that your word can be trusted, not just on blind faith, but on pure fact. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus that we may have life everlasting and abundant life here. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, I need you to do something for me before you leave. I need you to eat a piece of cake. All right? That cake cannot be left for me to take home. That happens sometimes. Y'all don't know why preachers get fat. It's because the leftover food gets sent home with the preacher. I don't know why. Do I look like I've missed a meal to you? Do I look like my mother neglected to feed me or my wife has neglected to feed me? No. And if they don't feed me, I can find my own food. So help me out with some cake. Love you guys. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, Lord willing, we will be back next week um, with Daniel chapter 10, if the Lord is willing. Hey, put this on your calendar. We are shooting for June the 19th for a baptism service in the evening. Billy and Kelly hosted us last year, and we're, you know, it looks like we're going to be able to host us this year too. So would love you to be a part of that. That will be in the afternoon. Um, if someone needs to profess the Lord in baptism, holler at me. We'll talk about it, okay? 
That's for June the 19th and a little piece of paradise down there at Rainbow Bend. All right, that's all I got. God bless you folks. You want to start our post-service roll? Go eat a piece of cake. Go say hi to somebody. Have a wonderful Mother's Day, and God bless you.